Have you ever wondered how a company is able to offer unlimited time off or be a pet-friendly office? Curious how HR leaders manage the well-being of remote or essential workforces? If so, you've come to the right place. Hi, I'm Andrea Heron, Head of People for WebMD Health Services, and I'd like to welcome you to the HR Scoop. On this podcast, I talk with other HR leaders to explore the world of unique employee benefits and about the challenges of managing unique workforces, because well-being isn't a one-size-fits-all approach. On this episode of the HR Scoop, I explore all things physical space with Doug Shapiro, Head of Research and Insights at OFS and host of the Imagine a Place podcast. Discover easy ways to enhance your home office, the state of the physical office as a hiring perk, and learn how HR professionals are now the new interior office space designers. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the HR Scoop. We are so happy to have with us today Doug Shapiro, the VP of Research and Insights at OFS and host of his own podcast called Imagine a Place. Welcome, Doug. Thank you. Super excited to be here with you. Yeah, I think this will be a very interesting conversation about what space even means. It's probably a concept a lot of our listeners haven't considered that space is a thing that we should be thinking about separately from kind of our our day-to-day existence. So I'm very excited about it. Absolutely. Yeah. Place matters. And I think just even more now than ever, we're starting to understand it differently. Absolutely. So before we you know, go all the way in, I think it would be great to have a little bit of context about your role and maybe about your podcast too. Awesome. Uh, so I am the head of research and insights at OFS. So we're a global furniture manufacturer uh, dealing with mostly commercial spaces, a lot of focus on the workplace. And Imagine a Place is a podcast that I host where I bring in insights from architects, facility managers, futurists, anybody that's thinking differently about place these days. And uh, we're really trying to elevate the importance of place in people's world. Okay, let's just get into it. <laughs> let's go. Let's go. <laughs> you know, what are some tips? I think when we, we, Think about our space currently, a lot of people are still at home or hybrid. So do you have any tips just right off the bat for those of us still maybe at the kitchen table or in a special place in our house uh, working remotely to make our space better when it's not our employer controlling it, but it's us still in the same place trying to do something different? Absolutely. I have some tips for you. So uh, I'm going to start with some of the big ones. Simple daylight. Daylight's huge. You know, the ironic thing here is to, for so many people, they weren't getting enough daylight in the office because the office was not necessarily set up correctly. Uh, So some people are finding more daylight at home. But either way, if you're in a basement somewhere, you have to make a point of getting out and getting some daylight uh, whenever you can. Another one here is biophilia. So both of these things, daylight and biophilia, have immense uh, impacts on our body and kind of how we feel and our, our stress levels also, you know, just having nature visible can reduce your stress. So I would, you know, even if you, if you're not, you don't have that green thumb and that plant always dies, even a fake plant is better than nothing at all, but bring some life into the office uh, that you, you, that you sit at all day. 
Okay, so um, I definitely know what biophilia means for sure. But for those in our audience who may not, do you want to give a quick definition there? Absolutely. Uh, just bringing elements of nature into the space. And so the, the simple low-hanging fruit is get a small plant and set it on the corner of your desk. And you'll be amazed at the difference it makes. Uh, when I made that change in my office, I actually didn't stop. I just kept adding plants to the side of me. So over to my right are, uh, is a nice little wall. Okay. And if you kill them, you can get fake ones and still get some of that is what I'm hearing. Absolutely. Okay, yep. great. <laughs> yeah. I mean, even, yeah, we're finding all sorts of ways to bring nature into our day and what a difference that makes in terms of stress. Yeah. Um, one thing I talk about is taking a beauty break. And what I mean by that is similar to what you're saying. You know, even if you're in the grind of it, you can't get away from your computer or you haven't made it to the store to get that plant yet. Look at a beautiful photo from vacation that you were in nature or just Google nature photos and take a deep breath and just look at that photo. And it really can just give you a different renewed perspective and you can feel refreshed even after just a few breaths and looking at a beautiful picture. I love that, the beauty break. That is a, a nice little tip I'll have to hang on to. Okay, good. So a, a couple more come to mind too. I, I feel like I need to get these out there for everybody. So you know, if you don't have a height adjustable table, I know that that's a luxury to have at home. But if you don't have one, you have to make a point of getting up and moving around. And so you know, I, I know some of us have these back-to-back -back Zoom calls and there is this pressure to always be on camera, right? But you have to, you know, maybe every third Zoom call, turn the camera off, go on the phone, uh, you know, take the call from your phone and pace around because you have to get up and move. And then the last one, this is kind of a neat little tip. I, I interviewed a, an author uh, called Donald Ratner, and he wrote a book called My Creative Space. It was all about being creative in your home. And one of the things uh, he said is, you know, as, as, you know, primal animal instincts, we're wired to uh, feel vulnerable when we have our back to a wide open area. And so if you've, I, I know it's a space saver to just cram that desk all the way up against a wall. But if you're up against a wall, facing a wall and your back is to a large open area, there is this natural feeling of stress. And so just, you know, reorienting your furniture uh, to give yourself a little bit of a view past your desk can make a big difference. Well, I've never heard that one, but it does make a lot of sense. It is. It's so neat. And, you know, he goes deep, right? I'm not, <laughs> I'm not going to go that deep, but you can get that, that simple sense of it there. And, you know, this, this beauty break is, is kind of a, represents a movement that I think we're all understanding differently in the way we work, which is to think of ourselves more like corporate athletes. You know, how would an athlete go to work? And, you know, there's no way an athlete would, you know, could run at top speed for six hours. You know, <laughs> they just can't do it. So you need to find time to recharge. Uh, you need to understand that you do your best work in episodes, not in these large runs. And it's even about knowing yourself. You know, if you ask an athlete when they perform best, they'll let you know that perfect time of day. And so we're no different, you know, mentally. We're either larks or we're owls or you know, we're daytimes, you know, daytime animals. And it's like, what, you know, when do we do our best work? Understanding that about ourselves makes a big difference. That's a great reframe. I really like that because I think we all have those times of days that we prefer to move our body or connect with people and be social or have that block of time where you really get into a project and you kind of get in that flow in that zone where 
an hour went by because you were really into whatever you were doing. That's not just any time of the day. You know, those are definitely different, though, for people as well. And I think we've seen staff and people really migrate towards schedules that work better for them when they've had the flexibility of their space and their home environment or a hybrid work environment. And so that's a really interesting reframe of kind of the experience of the past 18 months or so. Absolutely. Okay. Well, speaking of, you know, creativity and just flipping the desk around, I mean, we can definitely do that. <laughs> um, but as we, you know, more places go back to a hybrid or a return to a physical space together. I'm curious, you know, it's how can we be more creative with that? Because in the past, you might have had foosball tables or snacks or, you know, certain elements in an office that were really recruiting tools and kept the culture going. And we've all had huge shifts in culture, which I also want to talk about. But first, before we get there, you know, how can we be more creative and keep some of those elements going when we return to a physical space together? Creativity is, is something I'm very passionate about, especially when it comes to place. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of funny. I get the question about technology a lot. You know, how will technology change the office? And everybody thinks about the things that are you're holding in your hand, right? Like the screens that we're going to interact with. But the reality is the largest impact on space through technology will be through artificial intelligence. You know, it's coming like a, a huge wave, like a tidal wave, right? And so what it's doing, I think, is it's moving our economy from a knowledge economy to a creative economy. You know, if you even think about your role, what you do every day, that role 10 years ago probably looks different than it does today. Five years 100%. from now. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think we're, we're moving in this creative direction really fast. And so when we think about, I mean, even like, okay, think about the word knowledge work. I actually, I can still find books being written in the last few years about the knowledge worker and knowledge work. But that term has been around since the 50s. Peter Drucker coined that in the 50s. And I'm thinking like, okay, it's had a good 70-year run. <laughs> it's had a good run. <laughs> <laughs> it's had a good run. We're moving into a more creative mindset, like more creative economy, and AI is certainly going to push us faster. So if you think about what that means for space, you know, how do you design for creativity? And that's a, that's a whole different mindset than designing for knowledge work. And I would argue that most of the offices that were built over the last decade were likely designed heavily for knowledge work. So we're, we're seeing this movement towards creativity and group work is going to be a big part of that. And I know group work is, is a very controversial topic right now, but if I, I'm going to go back to, to a book that I love, which is uh, Where Creative Ideas Come From, or Where, is, uh, where Great Ideas Come From, okay? And, uh, and in this book, the author talks about uh, basically how we're all walking around with half of a great idea in our head. You know, it's always missing something, and that, that the only way... A great idea becomes a breakthrough idea is when we have the courage or the safety to offer that up, to share that idea and have it collide with another idea. And so it's this collision of ideas that's so important. And I think the only way to feel safe enough to share your ideas is to really build rapport with people. And building rapport with people can happen remotely. It certainly is not impossible, but it's much harder than happening in person uh, to build rapport with the team and, and gain a sense of trust where, where your ideas will be listened to and heard. I mean, if, 
And, and I think space plays a big role in that too. If you think about boardrooms, there's boardrooms we've all walked into that feel like a room full of judgment, you know, from everything from the materials to the table to the dress, everything, right? And judgment is the, is the antithesis of creativity. I mean, that's where creativity stops. And so how do we create more judgment-free zones and, and spaces that reflect a sense of authenticity or through, through the material selection, through, um, through the policies that swirl around the place? You know, everything should, should create this sort of safer mindset where you can be yourself. This is fascinating to me. And it's, <laughs> it definitely is resonating and making me think of a few things. So kind of to those points, I mean, when I think of the last, you know, three places, workplaces I've been, yeah, it's cubicles, it's high walls, people are getting more and more isolated because it's loud or noisy. And now we're used to the quiet and it's almost like people want a bubble to work in to do the knowledge work or they're working remotely because it's, there are fewer distractions, but distractions a lot of time mean interactions and when people talk about coming back to the office, the number one driver, because we've done some surveys, is connection. Like, I want to come into the office when other people are going to be there. I want to come into the office for a purpose of collaboration. But we're not really set up for that yet. And so you do need to rethink your spaces. And, you know, if you just have cubicles and a handful of conference rooms, that may not give you the results post, I don't know, the I don't know that we can really say post-pandemic, but post the last 18 months um, than it was before. You know, you're going to have to rethink it and be creative and every place will be different. So I'm curious if you've seen anything that works, not universally, but like a lot of the time, like what are some ideas that might be simpler to implement for people who already have existing offices? Is there anything you can give us a spark of that creativity? You know, I think... Any way you can begin to remove hierarchy is big step in that direction of creating that judgment-free space uh, where where the space is really focused on connection. And then, you know, even some of the same sensibilities that you want in your home office, you need to bring those to the office too. So biophilia and daylight too. You bring in nature. Nature has a proven effect to support creativity, right? So between nature, between a, a less uh, hierarchical uh, structure of of materials and office layout; those things alone, just those two things, will create a different energy. It is interesting. I think the materials is another thing. You know, a lot of times it's the company architect or the office manager or someone that just picks something that's in the budget that will work for this space, but they're not thinking necessarily, or traditionally haven't thought about creativity as a factor in is this space warm? Does it invite people in? Does it make anyone feel excluded? You know, this is a, a huge area I think that is untapped as far as who feels included in this space and who feels excluded. And it's something that as we just step back and think about what do we want to return to? What kind of experience do we want to have now that really everything is different? We need to think about who feels welcome, who doesn't, and how to, how to make that better. Absolutely. And, you know, I love what you're doing, which is, you know, you're putting the person at the center of the conversation here. And I think for so often, it's been the brand. The brand has been the center of the material conversation where it was like, okay, our colors are lime green and black. 
let's splatter that everywhere. Everybody's going to feel it when they walk in here, right? <laughs> right. Go team. But the reality is it doesn't work for everybody. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't really support the di- diverse set of people that come into an office every day. That is one of the magic things about an office. You know, it is just such a random group. It is. It's like people that you share so much time with that you would never potentially even hang out with outside of those walls. And that is that is the absolute beauty of it. And so when you think about designing for that group, I mean, if I asked you to describe uh, the typical person, how would you even start? You know, it's impossible. So when you design, you have to design for that spectrum and. One of the easiest to, you know, ways to kind of jump into this and, and visualize is you have um, hyposensitive people, you have hypersensitive people, and everything in between. And the hyposensitive people might need energy and excitement and, and that bright green, right? And then the hypersensitive people might need a little more subdued, you know, calm, relaxing spaces to work in. And so giving uh, choice. Is, is absolutely huge. And that's one of the key words I think that we designed for today is, is allow for choice. And if you do that, then um, you're, you're getting at this inclusivity that you're speaking about. I agree with that. And also, if, if we just take a tiny step back and think about how much choice we all have and how much the amount of choice has increased with smartphones and individualized marketing and news feeds. I mean, almost everything is hyper-personalized at this point. So I do think it's a contention that I would say younger generations, but quite frankly, all of us are going to have at this point, like, okay, I can choose most things about my day, but I must sit in this very specific place from this time to this time to do the work that I've been doing from home or a hybrid or in some other way for a year and a half. And so in order to bridge that, because we do want people to have connection and feel included and like they belong, we have to put some effort into the the space. And there will be people remote forever, so you can't ignore them either. Um, There is some meshing of remote and in-person, I think, for a lot of companies. But have you seen anything from leadership and how how they're approaching it, or is this kind of still the office manager's role? Well, leadership, you know, they have a difficult job right now. And um, I don't envy all the leaders out there that are making uh, difficult decisions every day. But I, what, I, what I do see from leadership right now is a movement towards of embracing change and embracing the pace of change. So for instance, when they're planning space, uh, one of the things that they're really warming up to is spend 75% of that budget, but don't spend it all. Hang on to 25. Observe, listen, see how people are reacting, and then take that, that the rest of that and start to make you know, some changes, respond to those you know, requests and respond to that feedback and observations. And so that, that's been a big change um, that I've seen. And, and I think that change is it was already moving in that direction. Everybody was understanding that they needed to create a more agile space. And then this just showed everybody how urgent it was to get there, uh, that the, the pandemic did, when all of a sudden it was like, wow, if we would have been able to reinvent ourselves, reinvent our space on the fly, we would have been in such a better position than we, than we are now. And so I am seeing leadership invest in 
uh, environments that can change. There's a, a statistic that I love. It was uh, the World Economic Forum, and they were surveying, I think it was like 60,000 workers. And they all said that they felt, or not all, I'm sorry, 60% of those people said that they felt their job would become irrelevant over the next five years. And I'm thinking, okay. Whoa. I know. And uh, that's a big number. It's a lot. And then what I began to think about is, okay, maybe it's not that 60% of people won't have their job, but it's, it's more or less like maybe 60% of what you're doing right now in your job will become extinct over the next five years. So meaning that every five years, you're recreating half of your job. You're, you're reinventing your career, yourself, your, what you do every day. And so I think this, this idea of, yes, the pandemic was a disruption, but we're gonna be disrupted all the time. We're gonna be disrupted by technology, by competition, um, by generational change. We'll always be disrupted. And so having a space that can move with this disruption, I think is huge. So we, we talk about changing space in three different ways. We talk about individual change, which is kind of a day one, day two mindset. So I'm coming in, I'm using the space this way today. Tomorrow when I come in, I'm going to manipulate it some. I'm going to move this desk over here. I'm going to put up a space division here. I need a whiteboard, so I'm going to bring that over to my desk. Um, and then there's uh, a day one, day 30 change, which is more team-oriented. And that's how one team might be working in a space, uh, and they might need to completely manipulate that space to complete their project. But when they're done, a new team might come in, and that might be a month from now, two months from now, right? This is very popular in the tech world. And so that's more like a day one, day 30 change. But the bigger change is this day one, day 365 change. Do I have the ability to radically change my space to keep up uh, with massive uh, you know, cultural or technology changes that will change the way we work? So for instance, can I take my space now and make it 50% more collaborative on the fly? And a lot of that is using soft architecture so not formal drywall and studs but you know furniture pieces that can create space and give people uh the, the ability to manipulate floor plans without calling in a construction crew yeah i mean that is that is important and helpful to reiterate you don't have to demo your office to create more collaboration spaces but i will say if for those of us who have gone through remapping of changing people's seats, there are those that welcome it. And there are those that threaten to quit if you move them away from their current location. <laughs> and so true. it is, I mean, there is a spectrum of willingness to change. And I think that's important to keep in mind too. It's you've got to communicate the benefits. You've got to give people lead time so they can wrap their minds around it. And then you have to give maybe even a little extra buffer for those who will go kicking and screaming. And maybe they won't go if they don't see the value in it. So don't, I would hesitate to tell people to just flip everything, move everyone, because you will real, be really unhappy for a while if you do that. You know, you got to have the goals in mind. What are you trying to accomplish? Maybe get their input, especially if you know you're going to have a group that is going to be more hesitant. Get their buy-in, get their ideas, and then they might be more willing to flex. But to your point, we can't 
do work the way we have done it forever. I mean, the world changes every day. We have to change and creatively change or we'll be out of business, no matter your industry. I mean, things evolve. Uh, But just, you know, not everyone loves that either. (laughs) No, that's very true. And that goes back to, you know, understanding that spectrum that we're designing for. And I think this, this idea of, okay, we had a spectrum around sensitivity. Well, there's a spectrum around change too, right? So how do we understand that spectrum? I think that's a really good point. And you know, now more than ever before, I see HR with a seat at the table when it comes to uh, designing that next space, right? It used to be facility management, maybe a CEO or CFO, and you would have uh, real estate. And now HR is there in a big way. And I think that's huge. I have personally been thrilled to see that change as well, because as we realize the true importance of each individual employee and that at this point, knowledge work, creative work, that comes from a human. And so human resources or people resources need to have a seat at the table because they are the closest to the actual impact of what those changes will be on the individual level, because we get to hear about it if it doesn't go well. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. I mean, it's a dramatic thing going through a a major change in space. I mean, we we know that. Um, But I think, you know, just we're starting to understand that space is, it's a tool in your toolkit, you know, your your headquarters is or your, your office space. But, you know, your toolkit also includes your home now. And it includes, you know, the library down the road or the coffee shop. It includes, you know, we're understanding that work is a state of mind. It's not a place. It's not a time. It's a state of mind. And so your workplace is wherever you decide to get into that mind frame. And I think that's that more than ever, I think, is is helping us understand that, wow, this is really a tool. And I need to think of it as a tool when I come when I come there every day. Not not as a it's not like putting on your underwear every day, right? Well, you just have to do that. You don't have to go in anymore. Gosh, you know what? I heard this great analogy. Somebody compared the office to the movie theater. And I said, you know, we, we have so much great entertainment at home. Like what's going to get me into the movie theater? And it's the same way for the office, right? You can do everything. You can pop popcorn at home, right? You can do all those things at home. So like, what is it that will get you into the office? And, and it's, it's not about coercing somebody. You know, it's not, it's not about that. It's about creating an experience that's so meaningful, you know, that's so valuable to me that it's worth my time to go there. And it's worth the company's time to have me make that trip. I like that analogy a lot. It's like, what is going to get someone to willingly get out of their sweatpants, put on (laughs) pants, maybe even with buttons and go drive, leave their home and go somewhere. You know, there has to be a reason unless it's a mandate. And then you are coercing people, which, you know, for some that's okay. And they're just waiting to be told that it's time and they're okay with it. And for others, that's going to be a deal breaker. Um, So again, you've got to understand that spectrum and know what you're up against and how you want to approach that. But if you don't have a place that people want to go to, that's just an unnecessary hurdle to get the end result that you're going for anyway. Yeah, I I couldn't agree more. Okay. So as you think about, you know, culture and space and all the great work you're doing, you know, are there any 
ideas or topics or trends you're saying that just keep you up at night or you think are going to pop up that we should kind of know about that you see coming? Like like you said, AI was definitely coming. Is there anything else that you, you know, want us to be looped in on? Well, you know, in terms of what keeps me up at night, I was to think about what's going to work going forward because everybody's trying to figure it out right now. I think we had to slow down and look and understand well, why weren't we already working like this? Why, you know, millions of people have now found better life balance. They've found more productiveness in their day. And it's like, well, how, you know, we had access to this technology. I mean, what was holding us back from getting here? And I think, I mean, I think it was really our culture, our, our workplace culture was holding us back. And I think we, we, begin to kind of sketch it out. It's almost like a, a graph where you have technology, you have products, you have uh, the way we work. This is all changing at this exponential pace. So you've got, uh, you've got this really steep line uh, showing that change. And then culture, the workplace culture has creeped along, you know, it's crept along. It, it, it's just real slowly. And so at one point, those were probably all aligned, right? Our culture met <clears throat> met our technology, it met our tools, and now uh, now there's this gap, and inside that gap is where all this productivity and happiness and everything we're finding now, as we start to embrace the technology and the mobility that we have as humans in our work, we're starting to to see all that stuff that was in that gap, and so I think we have to. To not make the same mistake again, when we go back, uh, and we don't go back, when we go forward, <clears throat> when we go forward into the office, I feel like it's, um, you know, you have to, I joked, you have to take your culture and leave it plugged in overnight and connect it to Wi-Fi because it will be <laughs> updating constantly. Yeah, because you can't unsee the benefits that you've had when you did things differently. Man, I love that. You can't unsee that. No, you're right. And it's, uh, it's, it's, it's changed us. It really has. And I also like the phrase going forward back to the office or not going back to the office, but going forward to the, I mean, it's kind of hard to say, obviously, <laughs> but I like the idea of it. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, it's like, it's like getting in the DeLorean, right? <laughs> oh such a good movie. Okay. So I, we could talk about this all day, but I want to end here with the favorite question I ask all of our guests, which is to tell us something about you that most people may not know. Oh boy. I would say there is a, um, okay. You know what? I'm going to share, I'm going to share a human moment with you. Okay. I'll share a human moment with you. That's what we love here. And you had asked me, we talked about toxic positivity a while ago. And I had heard that phrase for the first time, maybe six months ago. And that was a big human moment for me. I realized I was like, I can be that guy. Like that happens. And I am that guy sometimes. So that was a big eye opener for me. So of, of all the things I think I've learned, and there's been a ton over the past year, that has probably been the one that really stuck out in terms of, hey, here's a healthy dose of self-awareness. <laughs> and so uh, that was a, a, a good growing moment for me. 
Well, congratulations. It takes <laughs> a lot of bravery to have some self-awareness and understand that, well, maybe maybe I am or could be uh, tend towards that way. So if anyone is not familiar, toxic positivity is the idea that positive emotions, positive vibes, you know, posi vibes only, you know, those are the only emotions allowed. So while some things may seem encouraging, if you're like, oh, it could be, you know, every day is a good day if you make it that way and you don't leave any room for other human emotions and experiences, it can turn toxic because you're not meeting people where they are. You're not acknowledging the full spectrum of someone's experience and it can become toxic. And then they don't feel like they can be genuine or authentic with you because they have that fake smile on now. Um, so it's okay. You can be a recovering toxic positivity <laughs> person. Um, and there's nothing wrong with positivity, but again, we don't want it to be the only experience allowed. Yes. Well, this smile is real right now. I assure you. <laughs> great. Great. Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing that with us. You are not alone. That is for sure. Um, so we appreciate having you on so much. I hope um, everyone out there takes a minute to think about their space and what it means to have one and how you could be more creative with it. Well, thank you, Andrea. I love what you're doing. I love your articles. I'll continue to follow along. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the HR Scoop podcast. Please take a moment to rate and subscribe on Spotify, Apple, Google, or directly at webmdhealthservices.com slash podcasts.